the best investment you can make in planning for your retirement is living your healthiest life. Imagine that. This is Greg Weimer with Confluence Financial Partners, and I have the privilege today with, to be with Dr. Mary Lamb, the owner and founder of Lamb Medical and Aesthetics. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Happy to be here. We are delighted you are here. So, Mary, to start off, would you just give an overview of your model of care versus this, the typical family practice that people would be familiar with? You have personalized, comprehensive personalized care. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that to someone? Yeah, so the the, the way that I um, have the model set up is very different from insurance-based care. So it's called a direct care or concierge medicine. There, there's a little bit of a nuance of a difference, um, but the, the way it works is that patients, um, I, I treat many fewer patients. So in a traditional um, practice, I had over thousands of patients, over 3,000 patients. In this practice, you limit the patient population, um, patients have a fee to be part of the practice where they pay um, a small amount either monthly or yearly to be part of the practice. For example, children are around $50 a month, adults are around $100 a month, Um, and different cities and different places vary in terms of that amount. Um, But it's it's a nominal fee to be part of the practice, and what that gives you is unlimited access to your personal physician. So everyone gets my cell phone. There's HIPAA compliant apps that we use to communicate. People can do virtual visits anytime. There's no limit in the number of visits that people can have. And they also participate in a a comprehensive executive physical exam every year. Um, So you get lots and lots of care, lots of access, lots of convenient, easy, comprehensive care that is just undoable in in the traditional uh, practice. It is absolutely essential. You not only have a financial plan, but you also have a plan for your wellness. And just like financial planning, your advisor is your partner in your financial plan. It is essential also that you have a healthcare professional to be a partner in your wellness plan. If you don't have your health, you, you can't enjoy your wealth. Right. right. So the health is is the cornerstone of enjoying your life. Actually, we found it. We found a stat that confirms that more than eighty percent of today's retirees say good health is the most important ingredient for a happy retirement. So Bingo. there it is, right? There it is. So here's the thing, three there things I is. thought we could talk about yep. for the listeners. Um, one is you have a very different practice, and I've experienced that firsthand mm-hmm. at the age of fifty four. What and, and understanding your practice more in the next, last year, it's unique. And so mm-hmm. I thought we'd do a couple things. One, talk about the traditional practice, how your comprehensive personalized care is absolutely different, mm-hmm. where we think where we think the industry's going on on um, on being a physician and family physician. So that's one. Two, wellness. And you're right; it's it, you can't maximize your life without wellness. So, um, what are some of the things we can do? There's a lot we can't control, but there are some things we can. We'll talk about that. And then diagnostics. I feel like the diagnostics, then the test that you can run, it's really remarkable. And is there any innovation there? Which ones should we think about? Which ones shouldn't we think about? And where's where's it going? So so first, why don't you just tell us the change of where you've been? Because you're, you're, you know, you've, you've had a lot of experience over your career mm-hmm. and you've just made this change. How long ago? Almost three years. Yeah, and what's the biggest difggest difference? Practice. So what's the difference, biggest difference between what you're doing 
and the traditional family practice model. Yeah, I've done a little bit of it all, I think, in primary care. So I did I did some teaching in a residency program, and then I did urgent care, and then I tried to, to establish a, a comprehensive, progressive primary care practice. And in the traditional model, it's just very difficult to give the type of care that I wanted to give. And it, it was apparent to me that in order to do that, I needed to have a different model, different model of care, different way of actually engaging with patients. And so this direct primary care or concierge uh, payment model is different in that I don't accept insurance. Um, and in doing so, it, it, it changes things dramatically. So lots of my time, instead of being served by insurance companies and having to perform in their programs and provide their documentation, I can actually spend in patient care. And yeah, so like you just studies. said to me before we started, you just whispered, hey, did you get your stuff done? I had a couple of things you needed me to get done medically. <laughs> and so it's like, hey, did you get it done? And I just think that interest, and I, and I remember what you said to me when, the time, when you go to the hospital, the cardiologist may know about more about your heart. But when you go to the hospital, I know more about you. So, yeah, so you can right. be the quarterback, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about, being the quarterback for our clients with their accountant and their attorney. Their attorneys know mm-hmm. a lot more about state planning than we do, but we can be the quarterback because we understand your family and what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And that's what in, in our family we've, we've, really, we've really been able to see. Is that the new frontier? Do you think that's the new trend, what you're doing? Well, the, the medical system is broken. I think we can all agree yep. about that. Um, and, the, and the fix is not easy. I think that's also, also the issue. But the big players are the insurance companies. They really do dictate so much of the care that, that we receive. And so this whole direct primary care movement is, is a backlash against that. And is it a movement? Like, is it, it is. Is it? Because it? I still is. bring it up to people and they're like, what? Yeah. Most people in smaller cities don't know what it is. But larger cities, they're it, they're quite prevalent. So New York, DC, especially Florida, there, there's several practices like these. And I've mentioned like what it costs typically around here for that mm-hmm. versus other cities. And the Delta is mm-hmm. gigantic. Yes. So it feels like mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, it's still relatively new. Right. It is. And, you know, so, so for, for example, $50 a month for kids, $100 a month for young adults, $150 a month for older adults. So it's, uh, it's pretty affordable for, for the service that you get. Um, it, it, it's a entirely different service model. I mean, it's, it, it feels like, I, I mean, the days of sitting in a, in, a, in a waiting room for two hours with a bunch of other people who, yeah. who could be germy, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> In fact, to, to wait around and, 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 it just, yeah. and, it, and it doesn't feel comfortable. So this really is different. How does the single, you know, payer solution with insurance, how does this mm-hmm. affect the typical patient and the care they're going to receive from a from an ordinarily family practice. I think the difference is that you know that we're in a traditional system. You're required to see a certain number of patients in order to meet overhead or in order to meet insurance guidelines, and so you really have about five minutes with patients, ah. seeing thirty patients a day, and trying to. So do wait, how many patients do you see a day? Like in the previous, yeah, yeah, thirty, thirty, yeah, and most primary care doctors do between twenty-five and thirty a day, yeah. So how much time can you prep going in? Do you just like read the charts going in? It's like, like Uh, I, (laughs) I would try get up very early in the morning and try to go through everybody's chart and see what they need and do a lot of pre-visit planning just because you don't have so much time during the visit. So I try to go in there knowing the plan and knowing what to do, but it's the follow through and the details and the quarterbacking, talking to other doctors, arranging tests, making sure the patient knows where to go, what to do, all of that stuff. How do you do that for 30 patients a day? 
Well, that was – you don't – No, in that world. You, you don't. But that's the world, right? That's I mean the, the, the new world. frontier of what you're doing is different, but that's the world. That's the world, and that's why there's no news is good news. That's why there's here, call this, and you, you arrange all your testing. That's why there's a lot less follow-through and support for the patient going through difficult things or, or going through a diagnostic workup for something that's important. So right. um, so, so the difference is you know, in, in my practice, I can, I can lead all those things. I can really guide the patient, and then I can also see the patient in, in all avenues. So I can do home visits if they need it. I, I do that for hospice patients. It's, it's one of the most meaningful things that I do. Haven't been able to do that for years. Oh, kid can, calls from college and says like, hey, what do I do? I say, Skype Dr. Lamb. <laughs> Done! <laughs> right. So everybody has my cell phone. There's virtual visits. You text. You can call. You, you can actually get me for the needs that you have. So, so how many patients would you see in a day? So now I see approximately anywhere from about 10 to 15. Yeah. So half of that. Half. But I spend so much more time. My, my time allotment is better. My follow-up is better. I can I spend yeah. time interspersed that I can coordinate care. So that's yeah. where our worlds are different. Like if, if, I, if I would have three meetings a day. Now, we're on the phone a lot. We're doing research. We're doing portfolio <laughs> management. But like three is like – that's like about it. That's a because, lot for yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, just for like – Pre-work, follow-up, absolutely. It, it ends up being a lot. So mm-hmm. now, now the, so the single payer, though, is that going – I mean, does that help the situation of a typical family practice? Does it hurt? You mean, you mean if, if somebody has insurance no, or not? No, if we no. go to single payer, if, we, if, if there's one insurance company owned by the government oh. in the United States of America. Oh, gosh. Well, there's other countries doing that, right? And, and usually the care is just – is not the same for sick care. So in the U.S., we're very good at taking care of people who have illnesses. Right. right? We have great testing. We have great. We have great services. We have great treatment for very ill people. We don't have great preventative care. That's our. That's our weakness. Okay. Um, and and so some of those single payer, the, the national healthcare systems, they're very good at preventative care. But right. boy, if you get something bad, not it's, good. It's not good. It's interesting. What the the folks that rely on insurance. I know some other family physicians, and when I hear them. Talk about, and I watch them talk about their practice. Some of them are not enjoying it as much mm-hmm. as they should. They're brilliant people. You don't get to be where you are, right? UVA, Princeton. You don't get to where you are unless you're brilliant. <laughs> and then you get there, and yeah. it's not awesome. But no. then I see you talk about your practice, and your face lights up, and what you're doing, yeah, and it's like really it. fun, mm-hmm. right? And I, what did I say to you? I said to you uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, "What's the biggest difference?" And what did you say? Like freedom or something like that? What did you say? I have the freedom to take care of people the right. way I think they deserve to be taken care right. of, and I did not have that freedom before someone else told me how to take care of people. And well, I and I've gone my whole life training, learning how to take care of people. And if you can't join them, and you can't take care of the whole person, and you can't do it in the way that you feel is right, it doesn't sit well morally with you. So, so what you're saying is, if I'm not putting words in mouth, you get to decide what's right for your patient, not correct. an insurance company from a faraway My land. The patient and I get to decide. Right. Because I have the time to actually talk with them about it. Right. So that, so it's a shared decision making. It's not like this is what you need to do because I've got 30 seconds to talk That's to you awesome. about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really about, hey, what's important to you? This is what I see. Let's make some decisions together. Well, God willing, that becomes not only the new frontier, but the new standard, um, because It'd I think great it if is. It takes off, Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> well, let's, let's go to the second. There's some roadblocks yeah. against it, but we'll uh, see. Yeah. So um, let's go to the second. As people want to maximize their life and the t- statistics, I, the statistic I shared that um, 80% of today's retirees say good health is the most important thing for a happy retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think about that a lot. If we just help people with their money, but then when they get to this magical time, which I think there's a risk of 
waiting so much for retirement, you don't enjoy your life. But that's a different issue. But if someone gets to be 62 or 65 and retires and all of a sudden thinks they're going to have fun and then they either don't have the energy or the health to enjoy that, let's talk a little bit about wellness because you said something to me. I said, what's the biggest thing? What did you say? Like, the middle years, if you could repeat that, the middle years of one's life? Is- yeah, the middle years of one's life, I think, are the most neglected in terms of their health because they're so busy. They're busy with their careers. They're busy with kids. They're busy with their families. There's a sandwich generation of elderly parents. There's so many demands on their time that they don't have time to take care of themselves. So that you're saying middle age, like middle mm-hmm. years? Oh, like- gosh, 30 to 50, 30 to 55. Okay, so I don't need to take care of my health anymore. I'm 54. So that, that, ship, oh, that ship is sailed. I'm, I'm actually wonderful. So let's go through a couple of the things because I know, I think people try, right? Like this new diet. There's, and I'm gonna, I may mispronounce them, but there's like mm-hmm. the whole 30, the keto, eat fruit, don't eat yeah, fruit. Right. Like, is, is any of that sustainable? When you say things that control, yeah. is diet a big part of it? Oh my gosh. So that, you know, the tenets of wellness really are what the habits that you create every day, you know, so things like having a regular schedule, things like making sure you get adequate sleep, things like eating a healthy, well-balanced diet, things like trying to fit in exercise as much as you can, you know, whatever you can. Do, is, is that, is that something sure. Well, I, that in my mind that that's encompassing stress relief. So some, some kind of stress techniques to, to make sure that your stress level is controlled in a way that's healthy. That isn't in a way that's abusing drugs or alcohol or tobacco. Um, it's, it's more meditation, exercise, mm-hmm. you know, support with friends, time with family, things like that, getting away from work yeah. and, and balancing your life and, and in a way that, yeah, that helps you. And so what stress. do you think of the diet stuff? Is, is some so of the diet stuff, stuff fatty? is very fatty. Yeah, is for it? sure. And I think it helps people focus on their diet again and focus on, on ways to lose weight. Um, but a lot of it isn't sustainable, but it, it, it brings it to the forefront of people's minds. So if they're paying attention, they're usually trying to improve their health. Yeah. Um, you get really get in trouble, most people, when they're not paying attention at all and, and they're just not watching portions and they're not really making good choices because they're busy and they, you know, frankly, don't have time to deal with it or don't have the right resources in place to make sure they're eating that way. So I think it has a place in helping people, but gosh, for the long haul, I, I usually don't recommend it. I, I, I definitely have more of a moderate approach. You know, some of it's also confusing and some of it feels conflicting. Uh, yeah, it is. And and some of it you just plain don't like. We heard, know? yeah, like we heard a nutritionist. She's like, don't eat fruit. I'm like, fruit. Like, can we not have an apple? Like, what? Like, <laughs> it's about as close to nature as you get, right? It is having <laughs> I thought that would be a like good that. thing. Yeah, right. And so she I, I'm that. much more about moderation. I think people need to, to, you know, tracking tools, things on your phones now are very interesting. You can really um, gain a lot of information just by tracking what you're eating and how mm-hmm. many calories you're eating and, and what food groups you're missing. So I do that. I sit down with patients and look over those things and and try to find some strategies where they can actually reach their health goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of lots what about of tools. water. Like. Drink oh, a gosh. lot of water. Is that? I yeah. hear conflicting information on that also. Uh, water is important. I think people Big. don't they under drink because your thirst mechanism isn't quite there in terms of telling you how much you need. Yes, so. I heard. I, we were in the desert once, and 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 the person that was like you know. Um, it was a tennis thing. I don't play tennis, but it was, that happened to be a tennis thing. He said, by the time you're thirsty, it's too late. Right. So your thirst is just a delayed and not really adequate um, measure for you, especially as we age. It's worse. So how many ounces of water a day? So it's like that. And some people say 100. Yeah. They- <laughs> it's like a lot. So – 
Uh, hundred ounces of beer is, le- is easier. Hundred ounces, <laughs> hundred ounces of water somehow. If you got hundred ounces of beer, you got to do hundred ounces of water. You you won't get out of the bathroom if you're doing that. Yeah. So anything dehydrating, you've got to drink something hydrating, right? And so people think, oh, if I'm drinking soda, if I'm drinking coffee, if I'm drinking something, um, then then that's going to replenish my needs. It's not. So know? like if you're drinking coffee in the morning, you have three cups of coffee. Go coffee water, coffee water. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Or if mm-hmm. you're out and you're having you're having dinner and you're with your spouse and you're having a mixed drink drink or a glass of wine, mm-hmm. have water also. Make Definitely. sure you drink the water. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, I do feel better when, I, as we do, you and I both sit here with a glass of water. I do feel better <laughs> when, I, when I drink water. And we actually read, read some statistics on on alertness and, and productivity. So mm-hmm. we brought it, bought everybody in the firm, you know, these these Yetis and we have mm-hmm. them all drinking water and right. how many how many ounces a day. And mm-hmm. at least for me, I hope for everybody else in the firm, it was really, really helpful. What's the one? It what's the make people feel better for it, sure. Then when you get used to it, you start craving the water. Yeah, like, you, you're more like, oh, I need it. I need, I need it. it. Then I you think can it helps with it. hunger. I think it helps fill people up. I think, yeah. I mean, I think it helps in a lot of ways. Okay, yeah. so there's a takeaway for the listeners. Drink water. What's the other big one? You mentioned another big one, and I'll see if you say the same thing. If not, we have two more. What's the <laughs> biggest thing people could do? Um, in terms of their, their health. in terms of health, I think really paying attention to those years where they neglect it, you know, it go is. to yep. the doctor, um, make sure you're getting your blood pressure checked, make sure your, your, your vital signs are in check. So your BMI isn't too high, yeah. making sure you're getting your, your screenings that are, that are age appropriate. All that stuff is so important just to pick up things that we can treat quickly. So easily. that's very close to what you said to me. You said, get a physical. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people listening right now. By the way, you're very kind. We don't like going to see you. <laughs> so <laughs> I hear that every day. Going to see a doctor is not like, it, it's, it, you know what I mean? It's just day. not. Um, now yours is a more pleasant yeah, experience given the environment. You nicer, get a robe, yeah. you think you're nemical and it's all nice. You've got great music, but, but right. it's still going to see a doctor. Yeah. So in fact, I said to my wife's grandfather, I said he he died at ninety some years old, and I and I remember saying to him, "What's the key to living that long?" He used some curse words, so I'll take those out. He said, "Don't go to a doctor because <laughs> they'll find something. They'll find oh something. They'll find something." He rolled the dice. Lucky. <laughs> he got lucky, right? Right. Yeah, so, um, but that's it, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it's. So, how often do you suggest someone comes in and gets a physical? Uh, for my practice, I do yearly. There's so much that can happen in the span of a year in someone's life that I think it, it behooves them to, to really talk with me and, and really go through how they're doing, things that happened, changes in their health status. I have so many questions I always like to ask. Yeah. You know, there's so many things to go That's over. That's one of the things I appreciate about your practice in that you get paid this, whether we come in or not. Yeah, and I, and I, and you'll get the email. Where are you for your physical? Right. I right. mean, it's, and a lot of in. other good information on raising teenagers, or mm-hmm. you know, what, or or if something's going on in the com- in the community with you know a virus or something, you you, you, mm-hmm. you keep you do a great job of keeping us up to speed. But the annual mm-hmm. physical is something mm-hmm. that so many people don't. In fact, what we're thinking about doing, what we want to do, is actually in the next twelve months give people bonuses. In mm-hmm. our firm, if they get their physical. If they go. A lot of employers are doing that because they recognize there's value in that. We want healthy okay, associates that mm-hmm. aren't worrying about things mm-hmm. or having nagging health issues. Do you see a lot of folks that go? I'm, I'm, I'm just the people listening to this. I bet you someone's like, uh-oh, drink <laughs> water, go. but I better go get a, I better <laughs> I better go get go. a physical. I need but to get it's in true, there. right? Yeah. Go get a physical. Do you see a lot of people when they first come to your practice? Oh, my gosh. They've, and they haven't been seen by a doctor for years. I was one. 
There you I don't go. know if you remember that. I was one. You're in, and you looked at my chart and you're like, where? Like, what? what? I don't like, know what? Any information like, here. Right, right, right. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're, you went off the radar. Yeah. So, so um, be moderate. Be careful in your middle years. Mm-hmm. I think in middle years is probably true also in that we still feel like we're going to live forever. For sure. You, you have that mentality. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we still feel like we're going to live forever. And so you just probably come a little extra. When you're younger, maybe mm-hmm. you're more active. And then when you get older, you, be, you, you become more aware of your mortality. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, you're right. You're, you're busy and you're like, I'm going to live forever. I got 30 more years. I don't have to worry about it. And then you get to be 60 years old and it's too late. And it's too late. Right. Now, unfortunately, as we've talked about before, there's a lot of things you can't control. Right. And that's very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But there are things we can control. So thank you for that information. The last thing I wanted to touch on is innovation and diagnostics. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you said when we were talking, you said, you know what we should talk about? We should talk about cancer markers. And I'm like, or tumor markers. Tumor right? markers. And I'm like, right. no, 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 no. No, we're not, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's do that. No, 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 no. Let's not go with that. Yeah. No, we're not talking about <laughs> that. But you just want to explain some of the new diagnostics and the benefit. And there's some places, it's, it's interesting, it's a catch-22 sometimes. There's some places that will do, you know, full-body MRI or full-body CT scan. We have the capability of doing those kinds of things. And there's people that offer it just at, you know, pay out of pocket cost. Um, sometimes that it, it just runs into some trouble. If you find some things that really aren't that important in terms of your health and your, and your future, it can lead you down a path of emotional turmoil as you're looking at those things. So right. you, the body makes all kinds of benign things, cysts, lesions, things that aren't really concerning. And so sometimes doing a lot of testing can be a problem. Other times there's incredible value, valuable information that you can find. So if you do tumor markers and they're elevated, it just allows you to look at that area much more carefully and see if you can mm-hmm. find a cancer before it's spread, before it's more of a problem. We can treat cancer in its early stages very well and very easily. It's always the later stages that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly looking for things to screen the population in order to find a cancer at a, at a time when you can treat it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to get things like your mammogram and a colonoscopy Prostate cancer screening is still controversial. But yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah but, there, but there's things that we can do to look and see if people are at risk for the most common cancers. Um, the thing I think that's the most interesting recent development has been screening the genome, just, just sequencing mm-hmm. the genome. So there's all this genetic testing. There's even genetic testing for cancer now. So if someone gets diagnosed with a cancer treatment is actually based on the on the biology of the tumor and the genetics and immunology of the tumor it never used to be so that's a whole new advance that's fascinating but when you get your your genome sequenced yourself you can find out all kinds of information things that you're at risk for things that may be troubling to hear right. <laughs> so it, it, it it's a good idea to have a good relationship with your physician who can go through those kinds of things mm-hmm. and watch out and, and come up with a plan for you how do you how do you deal with that information over time, you know, and what do you need to do in terms of follow-up? Um, the other thing that some of these companies do is once your, once your genome is sequenced, they will go back with new advances and new things that they find and resequence those people or retest uh, those people mm-hmm. against a new mutation or some kind of disease that they uncover to see if they have it. So I just got um, notified by a company just last week that a patient of mine was positive for a new genetic sequence that they didn't know about. So is, is that the thing that's going to change medicine? Because that's what I hear, right? Yes. The sequencing of the human genome. So when I was at Children's Hospital, you know, I'm involved over there. And, and so I had the privilege of being in the, in the lab and they were talking about mm-hmm. the advancement in, in, in treatment and the new standard of care based on being able to sequence the human genome. And I will right. get the numbers wrong, but I think 10 years to sequence one's genome 
was tens and tens of millions of dollars and it took mm-hmm. months and months. Mm-hmm. Now it's a thousand over the weekend. Right. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, or hundreds over the weekend. That's how much. Yeah. So yeah. when people say like medicine's changing, like right now, <laughs> like right, right. I mean, it's <laughs> right not, now it's we changing. used to Absolutely. say it, but yeah. now it's right now. So I guess the good news is if someone is diagnosed with something, as you're suggesting, mm-hmm. there's hope on the way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And there's so much you can, you can do in terms of personalized medicine too. Again, I feel blessed to be practicing medicine this way because I, I can practice really personalized medicine. It doesn't have to be just population screening, which is what insurance does and what the traditional model does. It's really about you and about what your risks are, what your needs are and how I can best keep you functioning and living your best life. Like, like for example, just as a quick example, I mean, I know you were telling me about an ex about a blood test that actually you can do. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not hundred percent by any means, but it mm-hmm. actually says which food, it'll actually inform you on which foods mm-hmm. are likely to agree with you and which ones aren't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a newer test that looks at inflammation rate based on, on the foods that you eat. So it's, it's different than an allergy. So there's another, other blood test that can test for allergens in the blood. So that's a true IgE mediated sort of allergy specific test. This one is inflammatory based. So you can measure inflammation in the, in someone's body and someone's bloodstream when, when they're exposed to certain foods. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I've, I've had some real breakthroughs with it. So I think it's it's like the, it gives you, and it's just simple, right? It's like here's your red foods, here's your yellow foods, yellow foods, yellow here's your green, green. foods. Mm-hmm. My red food was a banana. Yeah, like a banana. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Even healthy thought, stuff. Like can if do I would that. have had an upset stomach, I would have ate a banana, and like mm-hmm. that's the one thing that mm-hmm. not you so reacted not, to not, not so, so good. good. So right, right. anyhow, Mary, thank mm-hmm. you so much. As always, oh. wealth of information. I absolutely love your passion for wellness, your passion for creating a new standard of personalized care. So thank you so much for your time. We truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate being here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other subject matters that may be of interest to you, please check us out at confluencefp.com slash podcasts.